0: This is An American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to rewatching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Chad Hopkins, and joining me, as always, for the 50th time, is my good friend and co-host, Katie White. Katie, how are you doing tonight?
1: I'm feeling old. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, old.
0: <laughs> I'm doing okay. Yeah, old as well. Yeah. It's hard to believe it's... I mean, 52 is technically a year, but 50 is pretty darn close, and that's a yeah. big number.
1: And we, I think, missed a week or so here or there. So uh let's call it a year uh all yeah, but. Why not? <laughs> so uh it's crazy that we were this idea kind of came into fruition, you know, earlier than a year from now. A year ago rather. Um but it started about a year ago, so it's been a fun year.
0: It has been and it's hard to believe uh we're we're approaching 200,000 downloads. So we're glad that people are listening and enjoying it. And we're just happy to be watching and talking about The Office and having an audience to do that. So thank you all for your continued support.
1: We'd be doing it with or without an audience. <laughs>
0: we yeah, would, that's true. <laughs> we would
1: be watching it. So I'm glad that you're all with us. Uh, watching yeah, it's as funny well. going
0: through TimeHop because uh, even like two, three, four years ago, I, I'll see conversations between us that pop up on TimeHop that are between you and I talking about The Office. Yeah. Like every once in a while.
1: It's been a long time coming. So,
0: (laughs) well, uh, speaking of the office, before we get onto our office discussions, I've got another office trivia night that I'm going to next week that I'm really psyched for. Last time was back in May, I think. And it's at the same place, and it's going to be super crazy and crowded and hot and sweaty. But we came in second place last time, and I'm hoping to maybe get away with the win this time. I'm thinking about binging the last few seasons that we haven't talked about on the show just so they're a little bit more fresh on my mind. But yeah, we'll see. That'll probably be our bonus episode next week where we go over those trivia questions.
1: We get to stump Katie again, yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And just a couple of thank yous before we do move on. We've got a new email conversation from Jill. I think we just got that today, actually. So thank you for reaching out, Jill. And we also got a new Facebook review from Shirley who has also left us reviews on iTunes and Mm -hmm. has emailed us and Instagrams us. So thank you for reaching out to us as well, Shirley.
1: Well, moving on to our first episode of discussion today, Dream Team.
0: It aired on April 9th of 2009, was directed by Paul Feig and written by BJ Novak.
1: It's the first real day of the Michael Scott Paper Company. While Dunder Mifflin Scranton scrambles to figure out what to do without their manager and their receptionist. Michael and Pam take the first steps of building their company, Michael Scott Paper Company, including getting a team together, the Dream Team, including a couple of familiar faces, and finding an office. At Dunder Mifflin Scranton, the office continues to try to impress Charles when Jim lies and says that he, like Charles, is a soccer fan, a game is planned after work. And Jim is not a soccer player.
0: <laughs> no. No. Not not even close. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, we'll get to that, but let's start off with the Michael Scott paper company itself. Michael is feeling overwhelmed because he gave up on the only job he's ever loved to start completely over from scratch on his own. So it's like obstacle after obstacle that is piled up onto him. And the only way he's found to cope is to make stacks of French toast in his robe. <laughs>
1: uh. Yeah, he's pretty freaked out. Um, Pam... Is really optimistic to start. She um, got all dressed up in her normal office wear, even though she'd just be going to Michael's condo and spending the day there. Um, Michael did not dress up for the occasion. As you said, he's wearing a robe and Crocs. But Pam is really enthusiastic and optimistic. She says, Today's my first day at my new job at Michael Scott Paper Company, Incorporated. You know, Apple computers started in a garage. We're starting in a condo. So we already have a leg up on Apple. So she's, you know, She's scared, no doubt, but it. she's trying to, you know, come at this
0: mm-hmm. positively. Yeah, she, I, th- I think it's her who says at the beginning that, you know, sometimes when one person in a relationship is feeling down or struggling, the other person will step up and take charge. And that's exactly what Pam does. And I mean, we already see a huge change in her just from the way she's dressed. She's not, She. she's dressed to... I'm trying to think of a right way to say it. She's dressed professionally, not in the work appropriate professional, but in mm-hmm. the I'm stepping into a bigger role kind of way. She's definitely not here to play receptionist anymore.
1: Right. Yeah, she's she's dressed differently than she was in Scranton. Mm-hmm. She was comfortable mm-hmm. in Scranton and this is a new costume for her. Um yeah. So cool cool to see her uh excited about her job maybe for once. Mm-hmm. Um She's excited to see the first piece of official, uh, Michael Scott paper company mail. It's a notice, however, from Michael's <laughs> condo association that he can't run a business out of his condo, but she was excited nonetheless to see that business name on a piece of mail.
0: She's able to get Michael to finally be productive. She says, let's, let's start with a list. Let's knock off the easy things first, get dressed. Um, which uh, it's funny. I didn't realize until watching the commentary that, uh, she says, okay, we need to get you dressed after he sits down and yeah. his privates flash out again. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'd ever notice that, to be honest. I-, I don't know if I just always happen to look away at right the right, rom- right <laughs> moment, uh, but <laughs> uh, he flashes her again. And Which makes uh, so-
1: her line when he answers the door even funnier. Um, Pam, as I said, is all dressed up. Michael's wearing a robe. Pam says, Michael, you were expecting me, right? Michael says, yes, yes, I was. Pam, are you wearing anything under that robe? Michael says, that is inappropriate, Pam. (laughs) But sure enough, he was not. So it was a good question.
0: (laughs) Yeah, even more inappropriate if he wasn't and he wasn't.
1: And sure enough, yes.
0: So they set out to assemble the dream team, as Michael calls it. And that includes, first he says Ryan. I want to get Ryan. He is everything I am not and everything I am. (laughs) and Pam, Pam nixes that. She says, no, we're not hiring Ryan. This is the guy who stole thousands, millions of dollars from, not millions, but a lot of money from the company, uh, committed fraud. So no way we're not putting him in at the beginning of our company when he can start it even sooner. So he says, okay, fine. Well, Vikram is the best salesman I've ever met. And if you remember back to money, when Vikram, Michael was working the extra job at the telemarketer company um i don't remember the is it lipofedrin or something like that
1: yeah, bit, uh, yeah
0: yeah and so he says vikram's the best salesman i've ever met and i i have to wonder a little bit do you really think vikram would have been a good salesman because what made vikram good at telemarketing was he stuck to the script and did what he was told by his boss and i don't think paper sales are quite that easy is not the right word but sort of what i'm leaning towards
1: I think he's got a really good work ethic. Um, and we see that a little bit in this episode where we go to pick up Ryan and Vikram saying, Come on guys, it's prime paper selling hours, which I didn't know they were prime paper selling hours, I think it was just the work day. <laughs> but um he he seems like a hard worker, so that's important. But he's a rule follower most of all. Um mm-hmm. as he just stuck to the script and, you know, did his thing. So I can't say he'd be a bad salesman, but it's a stretch to say he's the best one ever.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's definitely very different from selling medicine uh, on the phone.
1: However, he's clearly smart because as we learned in Money and as we learn again here, he was a surgeon um, mm-hmm. and risked it all, as Michael says, to uh, <laughs> become the best <laughs> lipofedrine telemarketer there is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Flip that. <laughs>
0: So they get Vikram and they stop because Michael needs to use the bathroom and they've stopped at a bowling alley. Uh, Seems innocent enough, I guess, to Pam and to Vikram because it's not like they keep track of Ryan or where he works. But Michael apparently has and walks in and there's Ryan. He is working as a shoe disinfector, (laughs) which sounds like a wonderful job.
1: Glamorous.
0: Yeah. And uh, Michael's in there trying to convince Ryan to come with him. Uh Vikram asks in the car, is it possible that he's bowling? You know him better than I do. And Pam says, well, actually, yeah, it is possible. <laughs> so it's she possible. goes out and goes inside to get Michael. And yep, it's Ryan. And Michael manages to convince her, let's bring him with us. And Ryan steals him sh- some shoes. And there it is, the dream team assembled.
1: I thought it was interesting that Ryan already, already has an attitude. He sasses Pam quite a bit. He doesn't sass Michael really, um, because Michael's offering him a job. but like, come on, dude, these two have started a albeit very spontaneous paper company. You're not in a position to, I don't know, pull this no. attitude pocket or this attitude card out of your back pocket. It's just, I don't know. He's already rubbing me the wrong <laughs> way again, and this time he's very blonde while he's doing it.
0: Yeah. They talk about in the commentary about how that was sort of a, a joke that they wanted to preserve. So after they filmed it, uh, BJ Novak was walking around with a cap on, one, to preserve the joke and two, to preserve his dignity. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Speaking of Ryan's attitude, you know, when in the bowling alley before he leaves, Michael asks, so how much do you get paid here? Ryan says 60,000 a year. <laughs> Pam says, I didn't realize you got paid by the year at the bowling alley.
1: <laughs> yeah, a salaried employee.
0: Uh, yeah, apparently. But, you know, earlier Michael mentioned, oh, we've got a meeting with an investor, Barbara Keevy. She does a lot. She supports a lot of local startups and businesses. And so, yeah, we've got a meeting with her. And it sounds really promising. And Pam's really impressed. They stop by and it's at an old folks home. And Barbara Keevy is his grandmother, Presumably the same grandmother that he mentioned back in Goodbye Toby, who has been sending him nine or ten checks a year for his birthday because she forgets his birthday. So I don't know if Michael's plan was to maybe dupe his grandmother out of some (laughs) money, but in any case, the meeting doesn't go as well as he would have hoped.
1: Yeah, Pam is thrilled with this step, which seems pretty surprising for Michael, um, given that Michael didn't even bother getting dressed this morning. But he has a potential investor lined up, so totally out of the blue and very exciting. Um, he, however, does not show up super prepared to the meeting. He's uh, got no mission statement. His goals are, you know, his usual Michael Scott make it up as you talk <laughs> situation. And Nana, which Vikram does not know means grandmother, doesn't buy it. I mean, even she's like, look, you're my grandson. I love you, but no. The other investors in the investment club say, you know what? It's not a lot of money. Let's just give them a chance. And she says, no, this is not what's going to happen. Michael then takes the opportunity to say, well, it might not be the best time to say, but I do need a little bit more than originally asked. (laughs) They already turned you down. You don't need to ask for more money. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: And then it's after they leave the retirement home and Vikram says, what kind of a name is Nana? She brought up a lot of good points. Pam says, it means grandmother. and He just says, oh, sweet Jesus.
1: Sweet Jesus.
0: (laughs) And he asks to to leave and to, to be dropped back off at the telemarketing office. He starts to give Michael some advice, but I guess Michael doesn't take well to being scorned or being told no. And so he rolls up the window and Vikram's gone. So they
1: don't need that kind of negativity not, apparently. Yeah. No,
0: no. Why why bring logic or reasoning into <laughs> this situation? So nothing is going well. Nothing is going up, going to plan and now it's Pam's turn to freak out. Uh, Michael returns the favor that she gave to him at the beginning of the episode. Says, "Listen, let's make a small list. Let's make getting you out of the car the first thing on the list." She even starts to sort of go out after his intelligence. She says, you know, out of all the people in the office, why am I the only one who went with you? Is it because I'm that stupid? And Michael, boom, he turns on the boss flip. He flips the boss switch. Mm -hmm. And it's a great moment. As Every time Michael does this, it's awesome. Uh, So I I really love this scene.
1: He becomes the parent. This whole episode, Pam was the parent to a (laughs) irresponsible child. Now mm-hmm. it's sort of the reverse. Not irresponsible, I guess, but just kind of a mess. And Pam is freaking out. She says, we don't have money. We don't have an office. We don't have anything. Even your own grandmother doesn't believe in you. <laughs> and Michael breaks it down for her. He says, like, look, we have a couple of options here. We both quit. We quit our jobs. We don't work at Dunder anymore. This is what we have to do. We have to try to make this work. We can freak out about it, and we have, but now it's time to buckle down and really try. Mm -hmm. Um, and that kind of snaps Pam out of it. She's like, yeah, I did. I walked out. I quit. She takes responsibility for that. And, uh, it's time to go try to make this company float.
0: He's firm with her, but he's also affectionate, which is what I really like. He says, now, what are our choices right now? Because you know, kiddo, we quit like that kiddo is a very affectionate, like you and me are in this together. And Mm -hmm. I realize that I am sort of being a mentor to you right now. Uh, we're, let, let's tackle this together. He says we can start this paper company, we can try or th- that's it. That's our only option because we quit, <laughs> which right. is a little bit of flawed reasoning because obviously they do have other options. They can go searching for existing jobs, even if it's right. not back at Dunder Mifflin, they have other options but still Michael's stepping up, he's taking charge. he it, it gives both of them confidence. Michael continues saying, you know, I, I do my best work, I thrive. When people don't believe in me, he gives a really poor example. My math teacher in high school said that I was going to flunk out. And do you know what I did the very next day? I scored more goals than anybody ever in my school's hockey team. Those things don't correlate, but it's okay. He says, you know, we're going to go inside. I'm going to make some calls. I'm going to get us an office space and I'm going to show you why you join this company. And it's like, boom, that's it. We're starting a company together. Yeah, it's going to be a struggle, but we're going to we're going to make it work. And so he's able to calm her down by presenting himself as a man who's confident in himself, who's confident in her, and it's either going to succeed or go down trying.
1: He says that he was the man there. Earlier Pam was the man, but here he's the man. <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, But Michael does. He steps up. He calls Billy Merchant, who I believe we last saw in the Injury in season two. It's been a while. Uh, Billy is the uh, building manager at the Scranton Business Park, where Dunder Mifflin is, and persuades him, really. Um, They don't really have a spare office, but Michael persuades him to show the company the little closet that they have that's vacant, and they take it. So it's this itty-bitty room. The three of them barely fit with their stuff, um, but it's a space where they can work. And conveniently enough, it's it's right next to Dunder Mifflin, so Michael gets to jab that in Charles's face a little bit at the end.
0: I love that moment where Charles says, oh, Michael, you're back. And Michael says, well, you have no legal right to kick me out this time. We're about to open a big old can of whoop-ass on Dunder Mifflin. <laughs> Actually, a six-pack, a six-pack of whoop-ass.
1: <laughs> and I love Pam's face there. She's just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: Watch out. She's sticking by
1: <laughs> Michael, which is nice.
0: Yeah, it's awesome. Speaking of Charles, uh, we can just start talking about the Dunder Mifflin cast side of things. Uh, I don't think we ever mentioned last week that Charles is played by Idris Elba, who's a pretty big name now. Yeah, but yeah, Idris Elba. It's pretty awesome. It's just like Amy Adams.
1: Yeah, exactly. He he wasn't a, a huge name at the time, but he's really blown up. He's a an English actor who mm-hmm. does a great American accent. So
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. Great actor. Cool to see him in the office. Yeah. So Charles tells the office he's going to be running the Scranton branch for a bit while they search for Michael's replacement. He's in a uh, small conference or meeting where he tells them this, and uh, they keep acting like fools. Um, He says, you know, if you have any questions, let me know. I think it's Kelly who says, where are you going to be staying while you're in Scranton? He goes, in a hotel. (laughs) And he's like, okay, back to the point. I meant more along the lines of day-to-day operations. And Andy says, how are operations on a day-to-day basis? (laughs) (laughs) Just stop being so dumb around Charles. You want him to like you? Stop. Like something about him makes them act dumb.
0: (laughs) My favorite thing about Kelly's line there that you mentioned is that she tries to say it really like properly. Like she has to say it a certain way around Charles. She said, where are you going to be staying when you were in Scranton?
1: Scranton. (laughs) Nobody
0: pronounces it that way.
1: She's so just enamored.
0: (laughs) She is. I said last episode that I don't hate Charles, but this episode, he definitely is starting to grate on me a bit heavier, especially this viewing. He treats both Stanley and Jim like children in that first meeting. He glares down Stanley doing his crossword as a whole, I just want to hear yes thing with Jim instead of just like snap at him or do something a lot less like a parent to get these people on task. It's it's like he's it's like he doesn't trust these people to be adults for themselves when they're clearly capable. Again, we said it many times last episode, but this is the best-selling Dunder Mifflin branch. They don't need to be treated like their children cuz they know what they're doing and they're doing a darn good job of it.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I had pretty mixed feelings uh towards Charles in this episode because He's clearly a micromanager and an over manager, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, when he thought that miraculously the entire office was super into soccer, he got kind of fun. He even like patted Mm -hmm. Jim on the back, which you never think is going to happen. And um, he gets excited and is smiling and it looks like his relationship with the office might change. It turns out that it doesn't, but you get kind of both sides of him in this episode.
0: Mm-hmm. It seems like he just needed to find the one thing that connected him to everybody, yeah. and he thought it was soccer, but since everybody was faking an interest in soccer, because nobody likes soccer. <laughs> I'm kidding. <it's, laughs> I'm kidding, everybody. <laughs> it's right after the World Cup. Yeah, uh, everyone's freaking out. <laughs> but it's just the fact that everybody was trying to make this fake connection with him that it didn't work out. It was interesting to see how his opinion towards Jim changed when Jim said, yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of soccer, but it's because I'm more of a player. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and he calls him bro. He seems honestly excited to play with Jim. But as you said, Jim, you know, playing on the orange team from second to fourth grade does not make you a soccer player 20 years later.
1: Jim um, had a talking head where he says, you know, I'm not a suck up. I don't do it. It's a waste (laughs) of time. And then sure enough, he just couldn't be hated for that long. Jim's not a guy that is used to being disliked, I think. And he really doesn't like it. <laughs> so he caves. And in that moment, I think he decided, because like, first he did say, no, I'm not really a fan. Then Charles says, "Well, it's not for everybody, I guess. And then Jim says, oh yeah, it's because I'm a player. I think he just, in that moment, was like, I, I need him to not be mean to me for once. Mm-hmm. So he lied. And for a guy who is athletic, I mean, he's good at basketball, he is really bad at soccer. <laughs> I like, cannot fake it.
0: In that moment when he does give in, it's like it's him against The Office, though. So I sort of get why he does give in. Even Stanley has written down Diego Marad- Maradona on his hand so that he can name a soccer player. And Andy is, like, imitating a video. He saw Pele, or Pele. I don't, I think that's how they say it. it's properly pronounced in the commentary. But, Jim's like, "Well, I'm the only one not trying to get on his good side, so I guess I better try." So they f- they play because Dwight basically calls Jim on his bluff. And they're playing and Jim says, "You know, it's it's my plan to touch the ball as little as possible and chalk it up to teamwork." And Charles kicks the ball at Jim. Jim ducks and it goes directly into Phyllis's face, hard. And I have problems with the the follow, like I have problems with everybody's reaction is like, why are they blaming Jim? Yeah, he ducked. But, you know, even a professional soccer player, they might be a little bit more willing to get bludgeoned, but nobody's going to react well to a soccer ball coming straight to your face. And so I right. think Jim just did sort of the natural thing. Let's get out of the way of this thing that's speeding towards my face. And unfortunately, Phyllis just happened to be right behind him. Charles, though, is still the one who kicked the ball. Like, at the end of the day, it's his fault.
1: And Jim, in his defense, never told Charles he was a good soccer player.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's true, too. (laughs) Like,
1: he just said he played soccer. He could have just started last week. It's, you know, and Charles thinks that Jim is some great athlete. So it's a bit unfair. And Charles, of course, then turns on Jim and gives him a hard time. And it's like, Halpert, why'd you duck? Thanks a lot. You know, and it's, yeah, it was unfortunate, but it's not. His fault in my opinion yeah
0: jim says he's going to go get ice and charles says is that does that make you feel better jim you feel better about this
1: well yeah yeah probably kind of. because it's
0: going to be helpful rather than blaming people about it when again charles you kicked the ball <laughs> It you kicked it
1: it's a sport things yeah. happen sorry uh yeah
0: any other characters to talk about before we get to the funny stuff
1: i think that's it
0: you know, I don't have a whole lot of funny stuff written down for this episode. Overall, I thought it was a pretty, not not unfunny episode, but there's some more serious stuff happening than the laughs.
1: Yeah, it's it's a big development episode, I think. And in fact, we mentioned a few of the funny moments, but uh, mm-hmm. why don't you get us started?
0: Okay, the cold open shows the immediate aftermath of Charles' decision to put Kevin on phones at the end of two weeks in last episode. And Jim says, how do I put this uh, diplomatically? I think Kevin is doing exactly as well as anyone might have expected someone like him to perform in a position like that. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So the phone rings and everybody like stares up at Kevin like, is he going to get it right this time? And the answer is no, he's not. (laughs) He says he holds up an index card that I guess only says Dunder Mifflin. This is Kevin. Please hold while I transfer you because that's hard to memorize.
1: He can't, yeah.
0: <laughs> it's not like he sits 10 feet away from the reception desk in the first place and I heard Pam say the exact same thing with her name over and over again. But anyways, he tries transferring a phone call that's meant for Andy, and it first goes to this desk, and it goes to this desk. And so you see Kevin running around the room because Jim won't allow him to just call people to the reception desk anymore <laughs> to answer their phone calls. Uh, it's pretty funny, but Andy answers the phone, and his maid died. <laughs> <laughs> Which is not funny, but it it's like they go through all of that and it's just to get that news.
1: And you get, while well, Andy has that little talking head, my maid died. You see in the background, everyone like high-fiving Kevin and cheering because he finally got it right. <laughs> uh, we're in Michael's uh, condo here and he's doing an ab workout, kind of. Itty-bitty crunches on his little ab rocker thing. And um, he says, I feel weak today. Felt much stronger yesterday, like Benjamin Button in reverse, or so, aging.
0: Yeah, like normal aging.
1: <laughs> like regular life.
0: <laughs> oh goodness! Uh, but I guess that that would have been topical because uh, that's right around the time it came out. So
1: yeah.
0: And that that whole workout he's doing on the floor is so it's like the most low key workout of all time. He's yeah. barely sitting up. He barely reaches his knees when he's reaching towards his feet. It, it's pretty pathetic, Pam balances out the actual responsibilities with goofy responsibilities on her list of things to do. And one of those things is song parodies. (laughs) So on their way out the door, she says, song parodies. Michael says, achy, breaky, fart. No, no, no. My stumps about a guy with no legs. (laughs) Okay.
1: Yeah. (laughs) He he loves the song parodies, though. (laughs) Dwight hears Jim say that he's more of a soccer player and immediately realizes that he has an opportunity to humiliate Jim. Mm-hmm. He just gets this big grin and says, really, Jim, I have never heard you mention that you play soccer. And he just, it's so funny how quickly he realizes that he can, like, take this opportunity.
0: At the end of the episode, Ryan, like, dashes into Michael's condo and says, hey, do you have TNT? Michael says, yes, I have cable and satellite as a backup. <laughs> Nobody needs both. And that's probably why we part of his money problems is he's yeah. paying for ca- Cable and satellite. And those aren't cheap. That's why people cut the cable.
1: Ryan uh, is in the car with Vikram and Michael and Pam. And he says, do you guys want to hear about Thailand? I say, yeah. Ryan says, it was undescribable."
0: Yeah. (laughs) Then don't bring
1: it up. (laughs) If you can't describe it, don't say you're going to describe it.
0: (laughs) It's such a Ryan thing. Like, you want to hear about this thing? Well, I can't tell you about this thing because there's no words (laughs) I have to describe it.
1: Right. Last one for me. It's not really funny. It's kind of mean, but it makes me laugh anyway. Michael's giving his presentation to the investors, and he's going down the line and introducing Pam and Vikram and Ryan. And he says, Pretty Pam is always reaching for the stars, and one day she may just surprise us all and grab one.
0: Mm.
1: Hey. <laughs> Ow! <laughs> Her life is about as glamorous as yours right now, Michael, and maybe even more so since she's like, in love and getting married, so true. Calm down, <laughs> she's she's fine.
0: Now, deleted scenes. We have more of Andy sucking up to Charles. Uh, he's preparing his coffee in the kitchen, and Charles walks in and starts preparing his tea. So Andy says, "Yeah, I'm a tea guy myself." And he starts dunking a tea bag into his coffee, which I kind of want to try a little bit. Like that
1: much go for it. You will just <laughs> let me know. I'm, I'm I gonna will. leave that to you. <laughs>
0: And then they, they walk out of the kitchen together, and Andy's further pestering him by uh, saying, you know, oolong, chamomile, ill gray, what's your favorite? <laughs> and Charles just says, just just plain tea. That's, that's it. Leave me alone. <laughs> and Andy follows that with a talking head saying, you know, I wasn't the teacher's pet, but I was the guy who walked the teacher's pet and fed it and bathed it. So you were the teacher's pet, Andy.
1: You didn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> Charles makes one non-passive-aggressive comment to Jim. He thought that his lunch looked good. So Jim takes that and just loves it. He just, yeah, it's from this new place. It's really fresh and healthy, and it's not that expensive. And he just, like, spends far too long talking about this place where he got his lunch. Charles really doesn't care. He was just making polite conversation, slowly backing away into his office. And then Jim has a talking head where he says, Why did it feel so good that my boss liked my lunch? He's just. <laughs> He's so not used to not being liked.
0: We have some more of the soccer game. Andy passes the ball around Jim and then calls Jim offsides. Um, I remembered part of this, but I do have to say I, I had to look up for the exact definition of what offside is. It's when the ball is passed to someone who is closer to the goal than the defense's second to last for this player, which sounds really complicated, mm-hmm. but in any case, Jim wasn't offside. But Charles didn't see the play, and Dwight asks Jim, you know what offside means, right? And instead of defining it, Jim says, you know I was a little offsides. Sure. (laughs) And so they they continue the play from there. Probably Um,
1: the smart move. I mean, he just (laughs) deflected that.
0: We also see Creed throwing the soccer ball at Kelly. Like, he thinks it's a dodgeball. (laughs) and we see Kevin using an orange slice as a mouth guard, and it looks like he made money bets on the game with Meredith because they're exchanging some bills there at the end as well.
1: There's kind of a cute scene during the soccer game, a deleted scene between Jim and Pam. Jim asks why Michael Scott Paper Company is back at the office, and he says he feels weird being at work without Pam, but he's glad that they can see each other around the building. And he asks to go with her, and she says, you had your chance. So they kind of cross paths a little bit.
0: And last for me, uh, Kevin has now figured out how to transfer phone calls by the end of the episode. And he's confident about it and he's proud of himself until Charles asks him to set up a conference call with David Wallace and the other 10 Dunder Mifflin branch managers in the conference room in 10 minutes. And he says, Sure, whatever you say, boss. And Charles walks away and Kevin's face falls and the phone rings and he panics and he just runs out the company. He's like, I'm gone. Not even <laughs> going to try. Read. And everybody just stares, including Charles, like, okay, what just happened?
1: <laughs> commentary. We got a commentary on both of our episodes for this mm-hmm. 50th episode. They mentioned we had BJ Novak and a couple of production guys as well. They were pretty nervous about going into this Michael Scott Paper Company storyline because the Pam in New York storyline wasn't a huge success. People, they found, were itching to go back to the office and screen, but they felt like this was going to be a bit more successful because they had so many more major characters out of the office. They had Michael and Pam and Ryan and an old Grace Vikram. So they felt like they had enough anchored in Michael Scott Paper Company that they could comfortably have that be a, uh, a storyline. In fact, he said these were considered two A stories. Usually there's mm-hmm. an A story and a B story. These were both A because they right. had such important
0: they also talked a little bit about the cold open. If I understood correctly, they just had Brian Baumgartner run around to different places in the office and then end at the phone that was actually ringing. So rather than him actually transferring the call from phone to phone to phone, they just had one ring going and then he would go to the wrong phone a few times and then end at the one that was actually ringing. If I understood correctly. Uh, yeah, I'm I, sure. think that's, I think that's yeah. right. But then the, the maid, my maid died line was, I, I think it was Charlie Grandy, who was one of the writers for the episode, uh, who wrote it. And it was initially cut by Jen Salata. And we've mentioned that she is one of the uh, showrunners at this point in the show. Uh, she thought it went too far. But then BJ, took he, he thought it was so funny that he took credit for fighting for it uh, because he thought it was going to play off. And it ended up getting a really good laugh, including from us. So it was worth it.
1: There's a great line. I don't remember who says it. I think it's BJ. But he says, John or Jim, I forget, is usually so unflappable that it's great when we get to see him flapped, and he's great at flapping. And that's (laughs) in regard to um, Jim being hated by Charles. It's really fun to see him flap, (laughs) to see him kind of waver in his confidence. He doesn't get to do that a lot, as I mentioned, because he's confident. He's unflappable, but he flaps.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. He, he talked about how they, they like seeing Jim being disliked by Charles because it's nice seeing Jim sort of play a little bit more of the comedy role rather mm-hmm. than the romantic lead that he had fallen into with the whole Jim and Pam storyline.
1: Right. And he's so good at comedy.
0: Mm-hmm. Aaron Schur, which was one of the writers for this episode, along with BJ and Charlie, said that he was a fan of the show turned writer of the show. So I just thought that was fun mentioning. He said it was intimidating at first, joining in with people who are so familiar and comfortable writing for these characters. But uh, I mean, this episode turned out really good. So that worked out. And there was also a cut line you know, Dwight has that talking head. And he says, oh, the, the new boss doesn't find Jim adorable. How sad. And it was from that. I think that same talking head or it was a similar mm-hmm. one. And BJ said, Dwight said something to the effect of he's black and wears glasses. So probably to Charles, Jim just comes across as a blurry, annoying honky.
1: <laughs> <Huh>. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
0: he, he thought it was really funny. Uh, I, I like the one we got more, but uh, yeah. worth mentioning.
1: They mentioned that they were working on breaking people out of the relationship habits, they called them, that they're in. So we got some Michael and Pam this episode. We don't get a whole lot of them normally. We have some Andy Dwight a little bit uh, coming up, and Jim not being liked is sort of a relationship habit that they broke. So it can be a little bit stale, I guess, when you keep the same characters interacting all the time. So they like to mix things up, and I really do like Michael and Pam together.
0: Mm-hmm. I do, too. We talked about their relationship a little bit last week. Uh, I think that's great. Uh, Ryan left the show uh, because BJ was filming *Inglorious Bastards with Quentin Tarantino in Germany. Uh, and all he knew initially about Ryan coming back to the show was that he was going to be blonde. And it was initially just frosted tips. But then Mindy Kaling said, nope, it's got to be full blonde. <laughs> and I mentioned this earlier, but he he wore a hat for weeks to preserve the surprise and his dignity. And then later, he had to tour for *Inglorious Bastards*, promoting the film, and so he was going to be on a talk show and had been given a brown hairspray by uh, Kim from the hair department, but it came off during that first show, and so it looked like he had a sort of salt-and-pepper look because the spray wasn't long-lasting enough.
1: I love the Mindy BJ friendship slash enemy ship. I've read Mindy's book, Is Everyone Hanging Out Without Me?, and... She likes to poke fun at him a lot. They are good friends, but she'll write things about The Office, and she's like, oh, everyone on that show is just great and lovely, except for BJ. I hate BJ. You know, <laughs> like, uh, She just likes to mess with him. So I love that they did um, the blonde joke. That's pretty great. There are a lot of locations on this episode, uh, which they just mentioned logistically how difficult that was. We had The Office, Michael's condo, Michael's car. The parking lot outside of the bowling alley, uh, the parking lot of Denner Mifflin, the nursing home. So they just had a lot of places to visit this episode, which logistically, they said, is hard. Mm,
0: They filmed some more stuff at the bowling alley than we got, including BJ shouting uh, free refreshments on the intercom before leaving. Um, And the retirement home, or the old folks home, was actually just the party room at the bowling alley, they said. Um, Now, during that scene with Nana, the... BJ had to eat several cups of pudding for different takes. He said it was delicious. He didn't mind. And Nana, who's played by an actress named Connie Sawyer, they were talking about her career. Um, She worked with everyone from Bing Crosby and Frank Sinatra to Adam Sandler and Seth Rogen. So uh, she actually just died at the beginning of this year back in January, I saw. Mm. so very long career with some great people. And Steve Carell ad-libbed some stuff with her because she had trouble remembering her lines, but she was good at ad-libbing.
1: It should be noted that Phyllis getting hit in the face with a soccer ball was CGI. Um, I didn't pick that one out. It looked, it looked good, but uh, thankfully they did not make uh, Phyllis get hit in the face for
0: real. (laughs) They also pointed out the crappy inspirational posters that are on the walls of Michael's condo. It's the first time we've been back to his condo since dinner party. And that was when it was po- overpopulated with decorations from Jan. So it was interesting to see the way Michael decorated, which was just 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 with crappy, motivational, inspirational posters around the walls. Mm-hmm. So for our discussion topic, let's revisit a discussion we've had a couple times before, but he's back, so why not? What does Michael see in Ryan? <laughs> why is he, of all people, a member of the Dream Team?
1: I got it before. I got what he saw in Ryan. I don't at this point. Mm -mm. The biggest stretch I could make is that like, ah, he keeps bouncing back, you know? (laughs) But that's not even a, that's not a good enough excuse. I think he just has it in his head that somehow Ryan is a great friend and great salesman, even though he's never made a sale. That's about all I've got.
0: I keep thinking maybe he has the Ryan from season two stuck in his mind. Yeah. Like eternally frozen in his memory. And that was the Ryan who is a temp. He was taking business classes at night. He was studying to make something better of himself. That was and the best Ryan. <laughs> yeah, that was the best Ryan. Because that was also when he sort of laid low and kept his mouth shut.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. Uh, so Michael was impressed with this young guy who was out there trying to make the best of everything. You know, I, I that's maybe something. And yeah. And he, he was so attracted. Not romantically, obviously, but to that version of Ryan, that he just chooses to ignore the Ryan who committed fraud for Dunder Mifflin and the Ryan who was addicted to drugs in New York and the Ryan who just suddenly up and left for Thailand. I mean, time and time again, this guy's let them down, but still, Michael feels something there. And he, I don't know, Michael always sees the best in his people. And he always has faith in his people. And part of that is trusting that Pam, the receptionist, is going to be a good salesman. So I guess mm-hmm. it's only fair that he gives Ryan a chance to prove himself, too. He says, you know, Pam, everyone deserves a second, second chance.
1: I was just about to quote that to you. Yeah. <laughs> he says he's he's not Trump. He likes to hire, not fire, you know? And uh, right. he's showing that, I guess. Over and over and over with Ryan, so. I guess so. Moving on to our second episode of discussion, Michael Scott Paper Company, aptly named, aired also on April 9th, 2009. This should be noted that this was the debut of episode one of Parks and Recreation. So, Dream Team aired first, and then the pilot of Parks and Rec, and then Michael Scott Paper Company, back to back to back
0: right and worth also noting that Parks and Rec is a Michael Schur comedy so it was like three episodes of the same family being aired together
1: which would be my like dream three episodes of television right i think right now <laughs> i adore parks and rec it it rivals the office for me as far as um comedies so love it if you haven't seen it give it a shot michael scott paper company was directed by gene Stipnitsky and written by justin spitzer
0: uh, real quick, before I read my plot summary, it was pointed out in the commentary, Gene Stipnitsky got the directing credit, but it was actually co-directed between him and Lee Eisenberg, and they're a writing duo as well. So just wanted to point out. I was going to say,
1: out. when I before I'd watched the commentary, I was like, where's Lee? <laughs> it's weird <laughs> to see Gene without him. Uh, they right. They are a team.
0: Okay. Now that they have an office space, Michael, Pam, and Ryan of the Michael Scott Paper Company are struggling to get their first customers. And they're also struggling to figure out their roles within their small one-room office. Who will make copies? Who will answer phones? Just upstairs in the Dunder Mifflin office, Jim struggles with a simple task from Charles, while Dwight and Andy compete for the attention of the new receptionist.
1: Oh, we get a new character. We do. We get the lovely Erin Hannon, played by Ellie Kemper, Mm -hmm. who is a lot of fun. Um, If you are watching The Office for the first time, you may know her uh, more popularly by uh, the Kimmy Schmidt series. Maybe not more popular, but more uh, recent anyway. Mm -hmm. She's really, really great. A lot of fun. A good addition to this show.
0: Michael, they're trying to get customers. So Michael is having a pancake luncheon to attract new customers. And he sent out an Evite. He got six yeses, one maybe, only 11 no's, and 788 (laughs) who haven't responded. But 782 have viewed it. He's optimistic about these numbers, so I wonder if Michael's just used to having pretty poor responses to invitations he sends out, and so these are better than normal for him, (laughs) which is why he's so optimistic.
1: He strikes me as the kind of guy who, when he sends out an Evite, like, religiously checks the uh, responses. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. He needs to know, you know, how many people have viewed it, and and yes and no's. Oh, before we get too deep into the episode, I wanted to mention that we have a different opener, I think, for the first time.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: The uh, opening credits were not of Dunder Mifflin scenes, but they were of Michael Scott Paper Company scenes. If you didn't know, notice that, sometimes people skip the intro on Netflix or whatever. Go back and watch it. It's fun.
0: Lame. Yeah, watch it. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone in the Michael Scott Paper Company, they, they're trying to be optimistic, but they're fighting. They're arguing. Uh, Michael steps out of the office for a second and says, they always say that it is a mistake to hire your friends. And they are right. So I hired my best friends, and this is what I get: is Pam and Ryan bickering with each other over who's going to make copies because Pam doesn't want to be the receptionist and who's going to answer phone calls. And she, I, I understand Pam like she she doesn't want to be the person who makes copies, i.e., the receptionist or secretary. Like if she does it once, she's going to get shoehorned. Well, you did it last time. You know how to do it. You're better at this than I am. It's it's awful.
1: And I think Ryan, if I'm not mistaken. Back when he was working at Thunder Mifflin's Grin, he kind of refused to make copies because Pam was just so much better at it than he was. Mm -hmm. He was like, isn't that great that we have a temp to help out with this stuff? And, like, he just would refuse. So Mm -hmm. now we're back at it again um, with just the two of them, and we're kind of at a stalemate on who's going to make copies.
0: Then Michael comes up with the personal corner idea. Pam tries to make hers the corner that has the pipe that unfortunately leads from the bathroom above um but Michael says, you know, that's my corner. I can't relax in the same corner where I work, which makes her corner the one with the copier. He says, "Sorry, Pam, I don't make the rules." You you do kind of. Kind of do. <laughs> because you're you're the boss of a company with your name on it, but still. So she leaves and she goes straight to Charles asking for her old job back and, you know, I'll be salesman because I have experience now. No, you, you don't. Know. You don't. <laughs> you, you bore the title of salesman for a day. A day, yeah. <laughs> um, She says, I'll be your personal assistant. I'll be your personal shopper. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. Well,
1: it's great seeing you, Charles. Right.
0: <laughs> she, she plays it off or tries to play it off and just walks out. And she lingers for a talking head just to enjoy the smell. She said, I don't remember the air smelling so good. And the space and the chairs, you know, I wonder if the chairs that they have in the Michael Scott Paper Company are the old chairs that they replaced in the surplus with the surplus money. I'm wondering because
1: they had the old copier.
0: Exactly. I was about to say that as well. The the copier they're using, it's fully revealed in the uh, deleted scenes that that's the copier that they tried to get rid of in the surplus and then had to get rid of after stress relief when they used it as a battering ram during the fire circus.
1: Right. In fact, it says trash on it. They wrote. Yeah. Somebody wrote in Sharpie, this is trash, throw it out. Ryan and Pam are really, really clashing this episode, which is understandable. Their office is the size of, I mean, it is a closet. <laughs> it's not the size of a closet. It is a closet. Ryan puts a picture of his naked friend from Thailand on the only computer's background. Pam says that she doesn't want to see that all day. Ryan counters, well, you could be hot, too, if you put in any effort at all. And she says, how? By dyeing my hair blonde? <laughs> this is from the sun. <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, sure, okay. So they're just fighting like siblings back and forth, hence the the personal spaces.
0: Ryan's even making personal phone calls in their small space, and uh, he's talking about making plans for the weekend. Michael says, I thought you were out of town this weekend. Ryan says, don't listen to my phone calls, please. You're in a single room. What do you expect when you're making plans? And then he talks about how attractive Pam is or isn't. And he he keeps calling her secretary and fighting with her. So overall, things are just going terribly. Pam can't get her job back. No, they don't they meet like two people during the pancake luncheon because the pancakes are gross because Michael didn't make them as circles. He made them as large rectangular pieces of paper. So it doesn't work out very well. And so by the end of the episode, Michael's Pretty much given up. He starts a speech. Says, "You know, I once dreamt that I had a peanut butter and tuna fish sandwich, and let me let me tell you, it was delicious in the dream. So the next day, I made that sandwich, and it was terrible. And the obvious parallel that he's about to make is this company. He thought he could make it work, but it is now flopped. So maybe he was going to end it. I don't know. We we don't get to hear the end of it because thankfully, they get a phone call from a person at the pancake luncheon." And Pam makes her first sale ever, which is awesome. And yeah, she had to answer the phone like the receptionist, but she proved herself that she's capable of more than phone calls and copies. And they all sort of forget they're arguing and celebrate together. And it's a great moment.
1: Michael and his frustration with the company and everything. I had this under funny moments, but it should be noted here because I just love this. Um, He has a talking head where he says, maybe the Michael Scott paper company was a huge mistake. I should leave. I should go and start my own paper company. That'll show (laughs) (laughs) him. No, no, you just did that. Uh, That's not working.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He ends the episode by saying, you know, I realize that we don't have the biggest office, but we have people with the biggest hearts. And I think for a small company, that is really there's a flush. Somebody went to the bathroom. That is really what's important. So it's still good old Michael still putting his faith in his people and They are able to celebrate. This is the start of something. They have their first sale, hopefully the first of many, and we'll see sort of what happens with the Dunder Mifflin, or not the Dunder Mifflin, the Michael Scott Paper Company in the next few episodes.
1: So at Dunder Mifflin Scranton, Jim is asked by Charles to do what seems like a simple task. Charles asks Jim for a rundown of his clients. Jim has no idea what that is, but he's too afraid to ask Charles what it means. And the whole day passes, and it's too late now to ask because he's been working on it, quote-unquote, all day long. So he spends all day trying to figure this out, tries to ask Charles several times what he means, kind of, without directly asking, what format do you want it in, etc. Charles gives him a hard time when he asks anything, so Jim just stops. Um, When Jim finally presents what he takes to be a rundown, Charles won't even look at it because why would I need to look at it? It's just a rundown. Uh, But then tells Jim to fax it out to everyone on the distribution list. Jim presumably doesn't have a distribution list, so he just faxes it to his dad because, yeah, he's got to do something. So this whole (laughs) plot line gave me such anxiety. Like, ah, oh, it stresses me out so much.
0: (laughs) I mean, Charles isn't the bad guy in this situation, but he is being very vague and sort of presumptuous in assuming that Jim knows exactly what he's talking about and... Knows what he expects, but I mean, really the impetus sort of lies on Jim for not trying to figure things out. And I know we'll talk about that more with your discussion topic. Mm. The other thing that's happening at Dunder Mifflin, or at at Scranton, or no, at Dunder Mifflin Works, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Dwight and Andy are apparently best buds now. They're going hunting after work. Dwight has a talking head says, you know, I used to hate him, hate him, hate him, hate him. I studied him to figure out why I hated him so much. But that blossomed into a very real friendship, as these things often do. Uh, Yeah, sure. Okay. Uh, And they're so obnoxious together, and their their friendship ends up just turning into competition over the new receptionist. Dwight first flirts with her by telling her a ghost story, because that's what you do when you want to woo a woman, is tell her a ghost story. It's true. (laughs) And then... As she's trying to leave the kitchen, Andy enters at the same time. He says, oh, this is awkward. And he like, keeps standing in her way and turns it into a dance. And so he makes it awkward is what happens. So Dwight later approaches him about it and says, you know, I noticed that your pupils dilated and your skin flushed. And I'm assuming a little bit of blood rushed into your penis. And Stanley looks over disgusted. And he says, you know, I admit to having the same feelings. Well, a little bit of blood rushed into mine as well. So where does that leave us? And they seed. Aaron to each other. The last thing I want to do is mess with your mojo. You go for it. I just want to hang out with you. Okay. So they, they seem to make things over, but I mean, this is them again, fighting over a woman and it didn't go over very well last time.
1: They have this great scene where we get to see a bit of the musical talents of both rain and Ed Helms where Dwight is playing his guitar and Andy is playing his banjo. They're playing Take Me Home Country Roads by John Denver, and um, they're just in the break room jamming, as you do. And Erin comes in and starts to sing along. She likes the song, and they sound pretty good. So they start showing off, because Erin likes it, so now they have to show off. Um, Andy starts riffing loudly on his banjo. Dwight starts just ripping on the guitar and singing in German, as the ladies like. (laughs) But it's cool, because it shows that both of the actors are really good at their instruments. Once they realize that they sound really good, they kind of ignore Aaron and just start jamming with each other. Um, and Toby yeah. bangs on the window. You got to stop. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is a functioning office, guys.
0: It's funny. I, it wasn't until the commentary that I realize that you can notice Toby before he actually starts knocking in the background. And he's like trying to make a phone call and he looks over and he's frustrated. It's really funny to watch Toby in that scene. So I would recommend going back and doing it. Yeah. Uh, but I just love that it starts as competition. Well, it starts innocent and then it turns into competition and then it turns back into, man, I just like making music together. It, we sound great. And it, it's such a, a fun little scene that they come full circle back to just making music.
1: I put, I don't know, I was kind of digging it. Like, Yeah, I mean, it's I, pretty They great. Sound good. I was like, keep playing. Yeah. Toby, you're alone. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, we should have maybe mentioned that Aaron's real name is actually Kelly. Uh, yeah. And the way we find that out is at the beginning of the episode, Kelly Kapoor is hanging around Jim's desk. Uh, and because there is a new Kelly in the office and she was a receptionist, Charles needs the receptionist pretty often to make phone calls to do various odds and ends for him. And so he she's hanging at Jim's desk. So every time he calls for Kelly, she can walk in and say, hi, Charles, you wanted me? Like, hear my message. You wanted Subliminal. <laughs> me. <laughs> and it's never Kelly Kapoor that he wants because she's in the annex. He wouldn't be calling for her from his office.
1: Jim says, not her worst idea.
0: (laughs) No, it's not. But uh, it gets so frustrating that Charles says, you know, I will call you Kapoor and I will call the other Hannon because that's her last name. Then Kelly Hannon says, you know, if we're changing names, then can I go by Aaron? That's my middle name. And Charles says, yeah, that's a pretty name. Sure. Kelly Kapoor explodes and says, my middle name is Rajnaganda, and I hate it, I hate it, I hate it, and <laughs> she storms off.
1: <laughs> I love her, like, the way she enters the room with, yes, Charles, you wanted me. Again, with the, like, proper, she just floats, <laughs> and she just whispers, she's just so demure, and, um... I like Kelly in this uh, Charles bit. I just think she's really funny.
0: Yeah, it almost seems like Angela has given up a little bit. I think we got a deleted scene in the last episode where she said something to the effect of, Charles is a mystery, and I'd love to just curl up by the fire and skip to his last page.
1: (laughs) Yeah, she's very intrigued by that idea.
0: But other than that, it's really Kelly that we're seeing more than anybody else pursue uh, Charles. Mm -hmm. Uh, Funny moments?
1: The cold open, which it really isn't, it's kind of the first scene, Michael rolls up in his car, he says, it's Brittany, and then you can fill in the rest of that sentence, and I'm back. Tries to parallel park his car in a giant spot, which would be totally doable, but he hits the car behind him, (laughs) so he parks in a tiny spot that's not a spot in the parking lot, because they took away his parking lot when he uh, quit Dunder Mifflin. And he has to climb out of his convertible and slide down the back. But he says, it's okay. They can't take my dignity or something like that. <laughs> no, but you sliding out did.
0: <laughs> the best part of that Britney quote is that it's not Britney Spears playing. It's Lady Gaga.
1: <laughs> it's Lady Gaga, it, it, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it,
0: it's Just danced by Lady Gaga. And he rolls up and he says, it's Britney. <laughs> no, it's not.
1: <laughs> no, it's Gaga.
0: <laughs> and then the parking spot, he says... Uh, uh, nope, not gonna make this one. And then the camera just lingers <laughs> for a second. It's a huge space. Like you don't it's even like really need cars. a parallel park. It's a yeah. so big of a spot. I freaking loved that he had the cheese balls that he stole from the yes. office in that deleted scene from last episode. <laughs> I thought that was so great yeah. because that's not something you would know unless you watched the deleted scenes. Is that he stole those from Dunder Mifflin to begin with, and now he's brought them back to the building, but for his new office.
1: Returning to the scene of the crime. (laughs) In preparation for the uh, pancake luncheon, unprompted, Michael asks Pam for 800 copies of a flyer. This is what spurs on the whole um, copier, who's going to be the copy person conversation. But it's a coupon for unparalleled customer service. And I just put boo. (laughs) (laughs) That's such a cheap... (laughs) Like that's not a coupon and this is such a Michael thing to do.
0: <laughs> and it's such a waste of resources for a company that doesn't have income. You know. Or
1: any clients. Yeah, and yeah. 800 flyers those yeah, aren't going to No. Those aren't going to go.
0: But then again, also alluding to deleted scenes, he says, "You know, I have enough pancake batter for 1000 pancakes or 3000 silver dollar pancakes." <laughs> because his pancakes are shaped like money or paper. Right. Paper. Uh, but still After Kelly leaves Charles' office raging about how she hates her middle name, Kevin says, I thought Rajanaganda was a boy's name. (laughs) Like Kevin's familiar with the the name, the Indian name Rajanaganda. I thought Rajnaganda was a boy's name.
1: (laughs) Well, nuggets of truth in in Kevin's brain. (laughs) We hear someone in the um, Michael Scott paper company, man, that's getting really long to say every time I say it. Michael Scott Paper Company office, uh, we hear someone because they are directly below the bathroom. What I believe is Toby using the restroom upstairs and making some pretty great comments. He's on the phone, first of all, and using the restroom. That's fun. And he says, not much. What's up with you? No, nah, it's okay. I'm in the bathroom. Hey, have you been watching Damages this year? It's so good. No, you got to tune in. It's as, it's as good as anything on HBO. And then he says, hey, does blue go with tan? I have like... Yeah, like a blue shirt. I don't wear a lot of colors, but I have a lot of tan. <laughs> and I thought it sounded like Toby. And then when I heard him say he wore tan, I was like, yeah, that's that's got to be Toby. Because yeah. now that I think about it, Toby wears nothing but khaki.
0: <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And as as that's happening, Michael is sitting down there. He sort of sits in this chair in front of the whiteboard on which he has written, everybody loves this. You miss mm-hmm. 100% of the shots you don't take. Quote, Wayne Gretzky. Quote, Michael Scott. <laughs>
1: Taking credit for it.
0: Yeah, his handwriting is interesting. Something I would never thought to notice before was that it's all it's written in cap all capital letters except for the eyes, hmm. which are lowercase.
1: That's really observant, and I did not notice that.
0: The I in Miss and the I in Michael are both lowercase, and everything's. I, I don't know what the significance of that is, or if it's just over analyzing, but it it's funny. For some reason, I wonder reason.
1: if Steve Carell like actually wrote that, or if that was props. I'm not sure. I wonder this made me laugh more than it should when michael is designating personal spaces for the team at the paper company he looks around the room he goes there are um four corners in this room which <laughs> most mo- not all but most rooms do have four corners but he had to check <laughs> and pam looks at the camera just so annoyed she's just like disgusted <laughs>
0: <laughs> and after the the whole corners idea michael says okay One, two, three. What are we going to do? And Ryan and Pam don't know how to respond. Pam says, corner idea. Michael (laughs) says, no, you're supposed to say rock the house. Ryan says, rock the house. Pam says, how would we know that? (laughs) Like, (laughs) What knowledge are we supposed to have had that would lead us to that answer?
1: Stanley and Phyllis actually come to visit Michael Scott Paper Company. Michael says, do you remember Ryan? And Stanley just laughs. (laughs) 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 Yep.
0: (laughs) Uh, He
1: does.
0: Creed makes an appearance at the pancake luncheon says, you know, boss, these are terrible. You need to make the pancake circles because of the heat distribution, so they cook evenly. And then he says, I don't even want these. And he opens his jacket and pulls out a stack of these paper rectangular shaped pancakes and drops them back off. And Meredith grabs them and says, I'll take them home for the kid. But (laughs) I just thought it was also worth noting that Creed calls Michael boss still.
1: Yeah. Kind of nice. Yeah. Simply... Ryan's mom picks him up from work. Yep. <laughs> C- yeah. Yep. Yeah. CEO, too, doesn't have a car.
0: Nope. In the final moments of the episode, uh, I, I wrote this as an Angela moment, and you'll see why. Dwight and Andy walk into the kitchen. They're talking about acapella music. Andy says, literally every single song is better acapella. Just name a song. Dwight names Cherry Pie by Warrant, Enter Sandman by Metallica, and Rebel Yell by Billy Idol. And Andy confirms. Doesn't prove. He just says, "Yep, all those songs would be better a cappella."
1: Oh, no, sure. really? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, really. And Angela just sort of rolls her eyes as if she just can't believe she was once in a relationships with both of them.
1: <laughs> I was going to say either, but both is the correct word there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to correct myself before people riot. I accidentally just called Ryan a CEO. He was not corporate uh, right. though. VP. <laughs> Last one for me, I think the clocks. There are four clocks in the uh Michael Scott paper company, set to Paris, London, Beijing, and USA. (laughs) I like the dreaming big. It was also noted in the commentary that the USA one, well, first of all, there are several time zones in the US, and it was set to LA, because they film in LA. They didn't think about it, and that this would be uh Eastern time, not coast or not West Coast. So the Paris, London, Beijing Times are based on the difference between L.A. and Paris, not Scranton and Paris. So that's pretty funny.
0: Just to toot my own horn a little bit, I did notice that the times were wrong. (laughs)
1: Of course you did. <laughs>
0: <laughs> because, I mean, obviously between the two of us, I have to think about time zones a lot. And I have family who right. used to live in London. So I'm familiar with the Central to, uh, is it Greenwich meantime that they're on? Uh, GMT, yeah. I think. I know it's five uh, so hours I, ahead
1: from here, six from Yeah, Texas, six right? hours
0: from Central is what I always had. And so I was like, wait a second. And so I, I, I had a suspicion that it was not going to be correct. And it wasn't. And so I'm glad they addressed that.
1: It would be eight from LA, I guess. Yes. Because that's two time zones from Texas. be Three mm-hmm. from here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So just wanted to say I was proud that I caught that. <laughs> <laughs> what about deleted scenes?
1: There's a Pam talking head. She says, there was a fork in the road and I took the one less traveled. Not even really a road, more of a path, with a sign that says those who pass shall die and a skull and crossbones. <laughs> the other road was more like Putnam Road. And then she has to clarify, that's a really boring road in Scranton.
0: (laughs) Sure. Uh, Ryan also has a talking head starting off the day. He says, 18 months ago, I was the youngest VP in Dunder Mifflin history. Last week, I was disinfecting shoes. Today, I'm starting a new company that will either make me rich or leave me broke. But no matter what happens, I'll always be the same guy inside. The youngest VP in Dunder Mifflin history. (laughs) I hate him. (laughs) So much.
1: I love this uh, scene with Michael. He's breaking down the name, Michael Scott Paper Company Incorporated. He says, this tells you everything you need to know. Michael. Michael who? Michael Scott. What does he sell? Paper. Is he alone? No, he has company. Oh, and he's 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 in front of the um, board that tells you where everyone's located in the building, and he's looking at the name. He goes, uh, is he alone? No, he has company. Oh, I don't have a suite number. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> Because he's in a closet, so he doesn't get a speed number. But I just liked that scene with him.
0: Poor Jim. There's an extended scene of Andy and Dwight doing their gun goofing around pretending stuff in the office. And Jim is trying to do his work. He's on the phone with a client trying to make a sale, I guess. Only for Dwight and Andy to swarm him and, quote, kill him by, again, doing their fake pretending stuff. And so he gives in and lays down his head so that they'll leave him alone because he quote died. The whole time he was looking around at, he he looked back in Charles' office where is he where is the guy who keeps getting onto me so he can get onto these guys for wasting time and distracting other people. But it's not until Dwight and Andy have sat back down and Jim has lingered with his head down for just a couple of seconds too long and Charles steps in and says, "Hey everybody, keep it down. Jim's taking a nap." And mm. <laughs> Jim he doesn't even try to explain, but Andy, to his credit, does look apologetic. He says, oh, tuna.
1: <laughs> Jim, again, doesn't know what a rundown is, so he he goes ahead and asks Charles. He said, what's a rundown? Presumably, this is pretty long after Charles has originally asked him to do it. So Charles assumes Jim is playing a prank on him because this should have been done by now. Jim decides it's easier to admit that it was a prank, which it's not, than be embarrassed by Charles again. So he goes, yep. Yeah, it's a prank. I'll get it to you soon. Uh, oh, so painful.
0: Right. And then right after that, he he gets a fax of an example rundown, I think. He says, this just looks like a list. You know, if I wanted a list, I would just say list. That can't be what he meant. <laughs> so he's still uncertain after getting an example from somebody. Andy has a talking head about how he went through it bad after Angela and him split. He says, I lost my high notes. Oh, no. Poor him. But then he found a friend in the most unlikely of places, the enemy bin. Then he demonstrates that his high notes are back by singing obnoxiously. And yeah, that's basically it.
1: Angela has a talking head, brief, but funny, where she says, Dwight Dwight and Andy, friends? I mean, what do those two possibly have in common? (laughs) She realizes that she is what they have in common.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you broke both of their hearts.
1: Yes that'll bring two people together.
0: (laughs) Andy, we see another scene of him trying to flirt with Aaron at reception. Again, super successfully. He says, you know, I heard you spoke sign language. I I wanted to learn it sometime. I didn't think it'd be that hard. And he like imitates a man walking with his fingers. And she says, oh, so you're just acting it out. Then Dwight walks in with their coffee uh, and it's awkward. Andy says, Dwight. And Dwight responds, our dog <laughs> and <laughs> andy takes his coffee and sits down and says something like if you have any other questions just let me know i don't think she had any questions i think andy just imposed himself on her but then dwight uh warns erin about sitting so close to the shredder a whole like five feet away with her hair down and loose clothes
1: speaking of erin she gives a short talking head describing her time with the office so far it's fine like any office i guess phones copiers computers do I have to do this on all my breaks? She says, <laughs> speaking of the talking head, She's like, I don't know. She's coming into this office where there is a camera crew. So that's gotta be odd.
0: We also get an extended first sale celebration. Uh, the first dollar that Michael pinned to the wall came from Pam. Uh, obviously it wasn't the first dollar they actually earned. <laughs> Ryan has to take his inhaler and Michael says he stood up too fast. And so he takes a pump from Ryan's inhaler as well. And I'm curious what your thoughts are. I kind of doubt that it's prescription, but I also think it would be funny if it was. Does that make sense? Mm. Like, Because Ryan, I don't know, not that this is true by any means, but somebody having an inhaler is sort of associated as lesser in some circles, you know, uh, like a, a dorky yeah. thing. And so right. it, for Ryan to have one, it just sort of seems funny. So either way, I don't know.
1: I feel like he wouldn't have carried it when he was VP, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? But maybe he does now, if it actually is prescription.
0: Yeah, either way, just something to note, in that Michael shared it.
1: Last one for me, Dwight is going to take Andy hunting, which was touched on briefly in the main episode, although, to be honest, it really didn't make a whole lot of sense, because they took the context out Mm -hmm. in the deleted scenes. But Dwight says, you did tell your anger management mentor that you were going to be using a gun, right? Andy says, Oh, I don't go anymore. Dwight says, Because you're cured, right? And Andy just laughs.
0: laughs. <laughs> Dwight looks nervous, like, Oh no. Like, uh, Maybe what this am I doing? has all been a setup. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I'm going to say, given their history, this should go very poorly.
0: Yeah. Uh, going on to the commentary, we have Jenna Fisher, Gene Stepnitsky, and Lee Eisenberg as the co directors, and then Justin Spitzer who is the writer who I mentioned last week is the guy who created Superstore, which is that show I'm still watching. There's lots of good information in this one as well. Uh, Like the fact that Steve Carell had to climb out of the PT cruiser in the tight parking space several times for multiple takes. And he even tore his pants on one of the takes. It caught on the side of the vehicle as he was climbing out.
1: I love stuff like this. Um, Gene or Lee, I forget who somebody says, since Aaron was metaphorically coming between Dwight and Andy, They tried to frame Aaron physically in between Dwight and Andy. So if in the foreground there was Dwight and Andy having a conversation, Aaron would be in the background splitting them visually. Uh, I love stuff like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's really cool. There was also something they filmed with Aaron. Uh, where she talks about how excited she is, especially about the three vending machines in the break room. They, they thought it was funny that she was so excited by such a simple thing just because maybe her last job was even more boring than working in a paper office. And so <laughs> little things like extra vending machines excites her.
1: So I made the joke earlier that, duh, Michael, rooms have four corners, but apparently the tiny room that they are in has more than four corners. So joke's on me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you don't see multiple corners all that. Well, in that scene, they talk a lot about how uh, small that space was to film it and how difficult it was to fit the sound guy and the two cameras that they usually have plus the three actors. So, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: yeah, I mean, it it makes sense. We wouldn't see all the corners.
1: (laughs) In the show, it's supposed to only have four, but in real life, it has more than that.
0: Right. They pointed out, or they said that the fans pointed out that... Maybe in this episode, in the following couple of episodes, Michael has a fishbowl on his desk and the fish changes every time we see it, uh, every episode, I guess. And it's because in the, the context of the show, the fishes were supposed to be dying. But in reality, for filming purposes, they were just switching the fishes to pretend that the fishes were dying.
1: You said no fish were harmed in the making of this show. <laughs> <laughs> right. Apparently a rundown is a common thing. They just picked a random word that sounded vaguely corporate, but apparently it's a thing and the fan base was confused as to how Jim didn't know what that was. I mean, to be fair, I don't know what that is. I assumed it was a list of sorts, so that works. And Jim doesn't know what it is. What I'm assuming is that Charles, like that was a word that he used a lot at his last job and Uh that's what everyone knew that it was. And so he didn't think about the fact that Jim wouldn't know what that is, but apparently it's a thing.
0: Yeah, apparently. Maybe you can chalk it up to Michael being their boss and him not using common practices. Right. <laughs> Maybe. Um, Justin Spitzer, as writer, said, you know, Oscar is basically the voice of the writers. So I thought that was just a fun tidbit. Um, mm. And Jenna Fisher also pointed out that uh, there's like a cabinet right in, uh, backed up against the conference room. And there's some shelves on top of that and a little smaller. I think she called it a cadenza. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Mm. Uh, but in the top drawer, she says, is where they keep gum for people on set. And they also have something called sides, which are tiny scripts where they can check their lines. And then mm-hmm. water bottles also in those those drawers. So pretty cool.
1: Over Ellie Kemper's uh, or Aaron's shoulder in the country road scene, there were giant cue cards for Rain's <laughs> uh, German lyrics. He speaks a bit of German, apparently, but as I can attest to... Uh, When you are doing other things and then you have to do something in another language, it can be the worst. Mm -hmm. So they had giant cue cards for uh, for Rain to look at during that scene. I wish I had those sometime.
0: (laughs) The diversity poster that Michael has hung in the Michael Scott Paper Company was made for the show. And it was the hands, uh, it's hands like stacked on top of each other. And it was the hands of their hair and makeup crew. So that was a fun tidbit. Plus the fact that Ryan is wearing the same sunglasses outside that Joaquin Phoenix wore on Letterman, which is such a Ryan thing to do. So I'm glad that they put that much thought into Ryan's wardrobe.
1: And last one, I think for me, uh, we learned that sometime during the first season, they did a commentary of the commentary, (laughs) but it never made it to DVD. I would love to see that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was, I had that written down as well. The day they filmed the pancake scene, the paparazzi showed up. And they were worried that they'd get a picture of Ryan's hair because the previous episode hasn't air- hadn't aired yet. And they didn't want the joke of his blonde hair to be ruined. And also that the the boxing trainer, they all have a boxing trainer, I guess, just to stay fit uh, while they're working. Uh, his name is Patrick. He showed up at the pa- pancake lunch. He was the guy that Pam ripped the script of, the strip of paper for.
1: Mm. Presumably the first sale, too.
0: Yeah. That's what I would assume.
1: Well, so our discussion topic for today is a little loosely structured, but I want to just kind of take it and go with it. How irresponsible is Jim being with this rundown thing? I mean, as I said, it gives me so much anxiety. He's faxing it to his dad instead of to the distributors. But what if this was important? And if it was a one-time thing, I mean, maybe Charles would never know that he faked it and that the distributors didn't get this list. But what if it's something that he would have had to follow up on? And contact the distributors or, you know, Charles may have contacted them. Basically, what can he do now? He's too far into this to say that he's unclear on the project. Do you know what I mean?
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: like, what's his out? He can't, yeah. he can't get out of this lie.
0: He should have just automatically said, hey, can you clarify what this is for me? I mean, that's on right. him. Again, Charles isn't necessarily the bad guy in this episode, at least not for this part of the story. Um, it's interesting. I. I always interpreted Jim as faxing his dad the rundown to get his opinion on it. Like, mm. I don't know if you know what a rundown is, but does this look like one to you? Uh, but yeah. if you look at the script, I, I think your your interpretation is right too, where it's uh, more about Jim not having the distribution lo- list to begin with and not knowing where to get it. So I, I think both are maybe true at the same time. Mm. But you're yeah. right. I mean, it, it does frustrate me that Jim is just so unwilling to... Ask for the answer. He even goes to Oscar. Do you know what a rundown is? Oscar says, "Use it in a sentence." He says, uh, "Can you get this a uh, rundown for me? Yeah. <laughs> this rundown better be really good." <laughs> Oscar says, "I don't know, but the rundown sounds pretty important." So, I, I don't know. I mean, Jim's being very irresponsible to just directly answer the question. <laughs> he's being right. very irresponsible. He's not taking care of things. He's not doing his best effort to maybe get a little bit embarrassed by Charles, but he's going to at least do the thing right. If he asks.
1: The longer he waits, the worse it gets. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Had he asked immediately, it would have been fine. Um, But I feel like now, if this actually was something really important, you're not going to get Charles on your good side. It's just not going to happen, especially after this.
0: No. In that deleted scene that you mentioned earlier, Charles said, you know, you're taking up more of my time with this rundown than if I had just done it myself. So, I mean, the the frustration is building between the two of them, uh, and it's not being helped by Jim just not asking about it. Well, I guess that is the end of our official 50th episode of An American Workplace. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. It's been a lot of fun so far, and we've got at least 50 more or so, so we'll we'll see what happens.
1: You can contact us at facebook.com slash workplacepod or at workplacepod on Twitter. You can rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. You can email feedback and ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at ktlady623 or at facebook.com slash katie.white.
0: And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. Also facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And my other podcast, Cinescope, you can find it where podcasts can be found and at the com. And show notes and contact information for this show can be found at WorkplacePodcast.com.
1: If you want a shout-out on more of An American Workplace each week, including access to our discussion outline and notes, a logo sticker, bonus episode, live stream, check out our Patreon page and pick the support level that you think is most worth it to you at Patreon.com WorkplacePod.
0: And that's all for this week. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you again for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on episode 50 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us next week in episode 51 for our discussion on the next two episodes of season five, Heavy Competition and Broke. Bye.